I don't know if um, you guys have ever had a division or dissension in your church, your local church that you're a part of. I've been part of several churches that have had people split off, people leave, uh, fighting within the church. Everything from carpet color to um, whether you should even put carpet in, whether you should have hymnals in the hymn, you know, or in the church or do away with them. And people get really upset about those things to the point of it becomes a distraction in the church. And it's just another attempt by the enemy to, to silence the church through distraction. Because if we're distracted and we're not about what we're supposed to be about, then he succeeds temporarily in that. And he can't defeat the church. He can't. Jesus said that you know, the gates of Hades cannot prevent you from doing what God's going to do with the church. It's not going to prevail. The church is going to win. The church is going to be offensive because gates are defensive. So we are to be about sharing the gospel, making disciples. We do that by being conformed to the image of Christ. And that we saw last week, for those who weren't here, that's the purpose of the local gathering, wherever it is. The purpose of the local gathering is not to woo unbelievers, but to strengthen believers so they can then go be Christ in the world to people. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be strengthened when we meet and then go out. Now we saw last week that that's been changed in our culture a lot, and especially the Western culture, where we have created now a, a gathering time that is to woo unbelievers. That was not the intention of the gathering of believers. It was to strengthen them. And if they're strengthened, growing into Christ's likeness, they're going to be conformed to His image, and they're going to be about His mission, which was what? To seek and save the lost. And we saw in Acts chapter 2, the first message preached, how many people responded? 3,000, right? So the church goes from 120 to 3,000 people in a moment. What happens when you grow that fast? It's a miracle. You got problems, right? You got big problems. So the disciples went from being having almost a 1 to 10 ratio. It was a 1 to 10 ratio, right? They had a 1 to 10 ratio to now they go to what? Yeah. Can, can, can one guy take care of 300 people? No, you can't shepherd that. that that's just, it's really, really difficult to do that. And, and God didn't intend for us to have to do that. And so... But it created these problems. And then we saw in Acts 4, the first persecution. And, and the persecution comes from them being arrested. When they were arrested, they were told not to speak. Did they obey that? No, they went out and they continued to speak. And what happened? More people started coming in. More people coming into the body. You know, 5,000 men and their families. Some believe there were somewhere between 15,000, 20,000 people at that time. True believers, not posers. True believers in the body at that moment. So again, you have a huge logistical issue of leadership. 
and management to be able to minister to those people. And remember what happened in response to what was going on? People started selling things because you have people from all over uh, Greece and, and other parts of the world coming to Jerusalem for the feast who now heard that the Messiah is here and they want to be part of Messiah's body. They want to be part of that group because they've been looking for Messiah, waiting for Messiah, and they're not going back to their country because there's no church there. There's no gathering of believers there. It's all right here. So they want to be fed. They want to be uh, not just physically fed, they want to be spiritually fed. So that's two issues right there for that many people. Think about it. If, if Brad, let's say I got 12 guys and I said, okay, Brad, you and these 12 guys, here's the issue. Here's the problem. We've got 30,000 people and we've got to feed them food and we've got to feed them spiritually. How are you going to accomplish that? I mean, it's not like they had a manual at that point or any kind of idea of what that would look like. Because before, they would get together in their communities. They would read the Torah. They would read the Old Testament Scriptures. They would talk about it a little while. And it was about Messiah, but they did it very manageable. But now you've got this huge problem. Oh, and then the first sin hits the church when Ananias and Sapphira come and pretend to be spiritual and pretend like they're selling a property for more than they are selling it for so people will think more spiritual about them. They will think they are, wow, that Ananias and Sapphira, they're really spiritual people and God smacks them dead and deals with it, brings accountability in the church, says no, we're not going to do our gatherings like that. We're going to have authenticity and you're going to be conformed to my image. And so what we saw in response to that is the disciples are arrested again because the church is continuing to grow. And we saw how they responded. How did they respond to that? Well, they, first, here's the thing. God says, I want purity. We saw that last week. Corporate purity has to be part of the body. That's part of the impact of sharing the gospel of Christ. Corporate purity. But we also saw a compelling witness. And remember that compelling witness was what? The compelling witness was that they were bringing all these people to Peter and the apostles because they saw something in them that a power there, they were doing just like Jesus. And they go, this is wild. Remember last week we talked about Elijah being given power because he looked like Elisha, given power to look like Elijah. Why? To validate they were from God. Joshua was given unique abilities and miracle powers to look like Moses to represent God. And in the same way, these apostles were given unique gifts to them at that time to validate that they were from God. So all these people in the world that are saying they're prophets, apostles, and they have miracle power, I don't believe they're, they're given that power by God. I believe one of two things. Either one, it's, not, it's fake healing, or two, it's demonic healing. Can Satan counterfeit God's stuff? You bet he can. Why would he do that? To mislead people. And so when people have bad theology, God's not going to bless that with His power. He doesn't do that. He's not going to do that because the whole purpose of Him giving these people power, Elijah and uh, Moses and 
uh, apostles was to validate they were representing God's Word. And so we saw that compelling witness last week. And then the third thing we saw last week was a bold witness in the face of persecution. Peter went right back at him and said, do you, you know, he starts telling about Jesus, even though they said, you can't do this. And we saw God's sovereignty in raising up Gamaliel last week as a Pharisee to say, hey, if this is from God, you guys might want to let these guys go because you're going to be seen opposing God in this. You need to just let them go and see. And they beat them, let them go. And it says the church continued to grow in disciples. And, and so what's happening this week is all this growth. The, the phrase that was used was, it grew more than ever. So you already had 3,000, then you have 5,000 men, and it's growing more than ever, creating a logistical nightmare for 12 guys. By the way, 12 guys who probably, I mean, they were good at fishing maybe and some other things, but to be thrown into that kind of logistical equation would, would have been very overwhelming. And it was overwhelming. That's what was going on in Acts 6, 1-7. through 7. And I just want you to think for a second in your own life about how did you deal with the division in your church? Like, when, when it was going on, maybe you didn't have a leadership role, but you were still part of the body. I was. And I remember back to one particular issue that I was dealing with in the church. And my, my tendency was to gravitate to the people I liked. I mean, it was. I like this guy. You know, because I'm going to hang with him because I, I think he's right. I didn't really explore a, any kind of biblical reason for what they were doing. I just liked the guy. I'm just being honest with you. And I think that happens a lot. It's basically politics within the church is what happens. You just like this person better, but you're not really following God. Who's the leader of the church? Jesus is. And, and so when you think about it, there's really, when we view the church, there's two extremes you, as far as the way the church should look. Like if I ask you guys to each take out a sheet of paper and tell me, what should the church gathering look like? You would, you would write this. Some of you might write, well, it should be structured and it should look like this. And Some of you are a little more free thinking over here. You say, no structure at all. The Holy Spirit leads everything and you know, we just kind of just get up every day and we do whatever God wants us to do. I would lean more toward this way, right? The organic way. The, the, the way that could be chaotic. And those of you who know me, Brad would be the first to uh, tell you that I can be seen as very chaotic. Some people call it flying by the seat of your pants. All you got to do is go out and open the back door to my truck. And you can see that's my office. Everything's in there. My wife gives me grief constantly about that. But there's two extremes as how we view our local gatherings. There's a corporation mentality over here, and there's an organic chaos over here. Those are the two extremes. But the church is an organism. It's not a corporation. Uh, an organism is internally influenced where a corporation is externally influenced. Do you get that? So, so the church is a living organism driven by what? 
Is it driven by external pressure? Should it be driven by external pressure? No. What should drive the church? The Holy Spirit, which is internal in all of us, right? They were one heart, one soul, one spirit. Does that define the church today that we see in our culture? No. No. Why? Because we have allowed external influences to come in. And listen, being led by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean chaos. So this group over here on the right that, that is Holy Spirit driven sometimes is just is open to chaos. That's not the answer either. And so there has to be structure. I was remember uh, years ago when SWAT was just growing from being... It started off with me and my two boys and two other guys. And it began to grow. And when it was just me and my two boys and two other guys, I didn't even send out an email. I just told them, next week we're going to be in this. And now I have to send out an email. Not that you guys read the email, but I send it out anyway. I do send it out every week. And Jim, now you're on the list, you'll get it. And so you can't, you don't have to read it now, just like everybody else. But I send it out every week because I want guys to know what's coming up and know what's happening. To know about opportunities or anything else. As you grow, I had guys like Dave Wilbur and Dave Humphreys and Brad and sit down and talk about what this would look like as we grow. Uh, Because as you grow, you can't just say, okay, we're going to have five SWAT meetings. Uh, We're going to meet on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I'll just see you guys at these places. But no time. So how do we come up with a time? How do we come up with how long we would do it? How do we come up if there'll be food there? The, The guys had to help me think through these things. And for the first couple of SWATs where I was just doing one or two, I was doing a lot of that stuff. I was cooking uh, the breakfast. I was running and getting stuff. Now guys like Chuck, do you realize, some of you guys don't know this, every Wednesday, Chuck goes and picks up either the sandwiches or the food. Chuck, every, every Wednesday, Chuck does that. You know why? That frees me up. That frees me up not to have to be concerned with that. But Chuck, how long did I do that? A long time, and that was always on my mind, and I was doing it. And what did you realize, Chuck, in going to do that and picking that up? Yeah, it frees you up. It frees me up, but I mean, when you see the responsibility, what do you have to do when you pick it up? You have to pay. <laughs> First time Chuck looked at the bill, he goes, holy cow, that's what you pay each week? I didn't know that. This would be a good time for my little speech. I'm well, gonna... you don't have to give a speech. <laughs> I, I mean, because Chuck gave me a speech, man. He goes, why do you spend that much money? And, and, and see, this is why when in, back a couple of years ago, I didn't know if we were going to have 30 guys or 10 guys. And you'd buy for 30 guys, and there would be 10 guys there. And that's a lot of food left over. And then, you know, so, and so my, my heart was to make sure everybody that came had something to eat. And so Chuck and Pete Hess and John Heinzel and other guys have been logistical guys that have helped me be freed up to be focused more on prayer and this than having to do that. But it requires things. 
And, and this is one of the issues that was going on with this early church. The apostles were having to feed. They were having to think about teaching. And they're, they're, they're missing things because the Grecian widows, the Greek widows, were being left out. It was a real problem. There was a problem. It was a legitimate problem where the Jews from Israel and the Palestine area were getting fed, but not the Greek widows. And so murmuring began to arise. And that's how Satan attacks. Listen, you can rest assured, anytime God is moving, Satan is going to attack. And there's usually three, three ways he's going to do it. We've already looked at two. He's going to attack through persecution from the outside. He's going to attack through sin on the inside. But then sometimes that sin on the inside might not be so overt like Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes it's more subversive. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's just division and dissension. It's just like, well, why do they get this and we don't? Or why can't we take care of this problem? And they're real problems. Sure. And, and so this was what was going on in Acts chapter 6. And so as we look at this, I want you to see that God reveals a problem of division and dissension in the church. And so I think it's a good way for us to think about when we're in a church, how do we deal with that? How do we make our voice known for what's biblical, not just what we, if we like a guy or not? So there's good principles here. Second, he, he, he lets us see the priority of God's shepherds. What do you think the priority of your pastor teacher is? Yes. And prayer. Yeah, <laughs> preaching without prayer it has no power. Preaching has no power without prayer. And, and so they say right here in the text, God says, preaching and prayer are the priorities of the shepherds. And we're going to see that. And then third, the people God uses to lead in the church, he gives us, he gives us characteristics of these kind of people. What do you do when you have a problem and the pastor and the shepherds are supposed to teach and lead and pray, and, but you still have these logistical issues that need to be dealt with. You need a framework for the ministries that are going on there. And he says, these are the kind of leaders you want leading those things and how they, they lead. And so open up to Acts 6, and we're going to look at Acts 6, 1 to 7, seven verses only. And as we read it, I want you to think about what he's saying here about dealing with this issue of dissension, division in the church, because it's really a distraction for us, okay? So let me uh, put my glasses on. We're going to read, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples, and notice it says disciples. It doesn't say when the believers. Most churches in our culture focus on the term believer. We need to add more believers. We need to do more baptisms, Right? He doesn't say that here. He says the disciple. What is a disciple? It's a community of believers around the Word of God with a passion to what? Be like their teacher, who's Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, now when it says the full number of disciples, do you know who it's talking about there? 
Yeah. Everybody. The 12 called everybody together. So we're talking tens of thousands. Yeah. They called everybody together to say, hey, we got a problem. Notice they didn't just go off in a corner and say, this is what we're going to do. Could they have done that? Absolutely. Have I seen pastors do that a lot? Absolutely. And what happens when you have no buy-in from the people? You see, what they're doing is what God wanted them to do. They're bringing the people into the ministry. And so it says, and they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. And by the way, the term serve tables doesn't just mean food, like a server. That's what we think of. But it also has the connotation of the money changers table or, or just, uh, just distribution of finances to help people. Whatever the needs were. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So who are they putting the responsibility on to put people forward? The people. They're saying to the people, bring us some names. Bring us names. Who had the final say on who those people were? It was the apostles. Because it says whom we will appoint to this duty. But there was a buy-in from the people who put the people forward. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. So here's the problem. God reveals this problem of division and distraction because the ministry was being hindered because there were Grecian Hellenistic widows who had come from other parts of the world, but they were Jewish. But let's be honest, the the Israelite widows or the Israelite people, they kind of looked down a little bit on people that were not from there. They left the motherland. They left Israel the land that God had given them. They were in other places. And we got to take care of these people first. And so they ended up leaving out these widows because if there wasn't enough to go around, we're taking care of these first. Whatever happened, they weren't taking care of those Grecian widows. And it was a problem. And it was people were murmuring. That word there, complaint, means murmur. You know what murmur means. You ever murmured? You know when your wife goes, what'd you say? <laughs> you say something under your breath? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, she can hear everything. You're like, you didn't think she heard a thing. And she's like, hey, what'd you say? I'm just talking to myself. What'd you say? I don't want to say. 
But the murmuring is people were upset and they didn't know what to do. And it was becoming a distraction. The Jewish Old Testament pattern was to take care of widows. In fact, they designated two men in each synagogue that would go around the cities or the villages where that synagogue was. And they would take up a collection specifically to care for widows, orphans, and the needy. And, and so that was a big deal. All throughout the Old Testament, you see widows and orphans, widows and orphans. James chapter 1. This is pure and undefiled religion. What? To take care of widows and orphans. 1 Timothy 5. Take care of the widows. You have a widow's list. I don't even think a lot of churches do that. They don't do that at all. But they did it then. And it was a problem now because they were overlooking these. But I want you to notice something about what the disciples do. They say this is our priority. Our priority has to be what? The preaching of the Word and prayer. Prayer and preaching. And one of the things that the church tends to do in the West is instead of accommodating the Holy Spirit, we try to to get the Holy Spirit to accommodate the church. And I want to give you an example. A real world example. Let's say you're a, a, a local church gathering has four, five, six, seven families that come from different places over a, a, a few month period and they all have special needs children. Well, that church immediately should say, wow, God is bringing these special needs children in here. This is a ministry to these parents. Because they deal with very specific needs. They all are coming. We haven't done any special outreach to them, but they're coming. So we need to build a frame for ministry to these parents and these children. Because God brought them here. Now, that's church A. Church B over here goes, man, you know what? I have a heart for special needs children. They don't have any. We're going to build a ministry for special needs children. And we're going to put it together and we're going to have this year and this year and this year and have it all ready for them. And then we're going to offer it to everybody. There's a big problem with that. They, and then they ask God to bless it. The problem is, over here, the Holy Spirit's already bringing the people to the body. Over here, they're saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do it out here. That's what we do at church a lot. Because the problem over here is the people that are doing that most of the time don't have any special needs kids, so they don't even know what to build that ministry with. The people over here know how to minister because they have special needs kids. Do you understand the difference between these two viewpoints? You see, the church accommodates the Holy Spirit, not vice versa. We follow the lead of the Spirit. And that's, that's you, you add structure where it's needed. The biblical church always accommodates ministries that the Holy Spirit begins. So I, I'll give you another example of, a, of a, a young couple I talked to not too long ago. They came out of addiction. And they went to a church where there was a, quite a few addicts. 
And they start realizing, man, we've got a lot of people that have come out of addiction. So they went to the pastor and asked about starting a ministry to addicts. And he goes, no, we tried that a few years ago and it didn't work very well. So we're not, you know, we're not going to do that. Now, he's got a bunch of addicts who want to help minister to other addicts who's come to him and ask for uh, you know, help to figure out the platform or the, 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 you know, the framing for what it would look like. And instead of recognizing that the Spirit has brought these people into the church... Now listen, I, I realize a pastor can't say yes to everything. He's got priorities that he prays through. But when you got people that are coming that God's bringing there who have a heart for wanting to minister, and you go, I'm sorry. So, But here, you can go help out in the kids' ministry. They really need help there. And these people go, but, but, but you know, I, 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 I want to help these people. My heart is to help these people that were like me. And, and so we do that in the Western church a lot. We come up with these plans and then ask the Holy Spirit to come along instead of seeing what the Spirit's doing and building a frame around it. That's why he goes to the people and he says, listen, you put forth seven people. Who has the most buy-in of the group? Who, who has the most at stake in this group of people, these believers, to this issue? The Hellenists. Who? The Hellenists. the Hellenists. Yeah, the Greeks. Guys, do you know that every name is Greek? Every name that they picked is a Greek name. Now, so it's not just the priority of God's shepherds being identified in verse 2, but He tells us the people that God uses here, a lot of times we should allow the people that have the most at stake should be the ones that lead that particular ministry. You see, if it was in our culture today, you know what, what would happen? Let's just say... Let's just say we have a church um, in town and uh, just for, for where our culture's at, you have uh, black congregants and you have white congregants. What we would do in our culture is we'd say, okay, we're going to have four black and three white so everybody gets an equal say. And he says, No. If, if, if this group over here is saying we have a problem, we're going to let them all be in charge. Because that's the unity we want to show the world. Do you see what they did here? How, how incredible it was for them to take these seven uh, Greek people and put up. And these weren't just Greek people. I mean, Stephen's going to be the first martyr. He was a man elder-worthy. And we don't know. They, I mean, this is not the first deacons, by the way. They weren't. They, the word diakonos is used, but it's also used for, for uh, talking about the apostles. When That word there, if you go back and you look and say, when it says, we will devote ourselves, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. In verse 4, that word for ministry is diakonai. It's the same word for serve that is used to serve tables, but they're serving the Word of God. And so, when you think about the priority of God's shepherds, Paul said, I didn't shrink from 
declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I preach through all these issues. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Amen. And, and so, I grew up in a church. You know where I'd hear a lot? I was in the hospital two weeks. The pastor didn't even come visit me. Did anybody come visit you? Well, yeah, the deacon, but it wasn't the pastor. And, and we grow up with this mindset, and it was really highlighted to me, when people, people attribute special power to the pastor that they don't think the people have. I remember Billy Graham, a woman came up to him late and told me this. A woman came up to him and she says, I want you to pray for me. And Billy goes, well, what do you want me to pray for? I don't know. I just want you to pray for me. <laughs> just because you're a holy man. Just pray for me. And so Billy goes, Lord, I don't know what this woman wants or needs, but I just pray you give her whatever she wants or needs. And that was his prayer. That was his prayer. But we attribute to the pastor or the pastor teacher a spiritual power that we don't think other people possess. And we all are inbred with the Holy Spirit, right? Like we're, we're, the Spirit is in us. And so when you go as a deacon or even just a member of a church to go represent that body, to check on somebody, you go representing Christ. And, and, the, and what they're saying is the priority of God's shepherds is to preach and pray. Pray and preach. Pray and preach. Preach and pray. And we should free them up to that. By the way, we really shouldn't require them to work outside of that. You know why? Because that's what Scripture says. It says that. If you go to 1 Corinthians 9, in fact, real quick, flip over to 1 Corinthians 9 real quick. 1 Corinthians 9.13 Do you not know that those who were employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the Gospel should get their living by the Gospel. That's right there in Scripture. That's, Paul's telling them, listen, for the people who are proclaiming, that's how those people should be blessed. First Timothy, turn over to First Timothy five real quick. First Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Double honor is not honor like, wow, you did a great job. It means support. Support. Galatians 6.6. One more. One who has taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Are those ambiguous? There's, there's no ambiguity there. Paul says, but I don't want to be a burden to you. So I'm not making the demand on you. I'm just telling you this is how you should treat your shepherds and pastors. When I was going to Mississippi, the pastor called me right before I left last week and he said, listen, I forgot to ask you, how much do you charge to come and do something like this? You know, to do the men's conference in his church on Sunday. 
I said, I don't charge anything. He goes, I just wanted to make sure because some people, you know, have an upfront thing they want. I said, no. And I've seen it. Brad's seen it. We know people who would not step foot on a stage to preach the gospel without a $10,000 check in their hand. God put it on my heart a long time ago not to make demands to do what I do, but to trust Him. So I told that pastor, I said, listen, you know what? I, I don't make any upfront demands or anything. You, you, you know, if you want to bless me, that's fine. That's up to you. I just come because I feel called to minister. So I appreciate the opportunity. And that was all I said. So Sunday morning, I stand up and I preach at their church. Afterwards, an older lady comes up to me and says, thank you, I needed to hear that. And she says, can I shake your hand? And I go, yes. And I shook her hand. And she put a check in my hand for $500. And then a young like guy in his 20s came up and said, hey, I needed that. That was so impactful what you said. I had never heard that before. Here. And gave me three $20 bills. And then another older guy came up and he said, I, I want you to take this for gas money. And just gave me a check for $100. Why did they do that? Nobody coerced them to do any of those. I didn't make any pleas from the pulpit. I simply preached the Word. But the Spirit moved in them to respond. And that's what we should... We should respond to people that minister to us. When you go back to your local churches, think about your pastors, your teachers. Now, some of them are well taken care of, but there are a lot of them that aren't. And those that aren't, we should help. So they can. One of them comes in here every now and then. He meets on Thursdays. Ronnie McKinnon, Will McKinnon, Pastor Will. He pastors a church and he has to work because that church can't afford to bless him to free him up. But we should come alongside Ronnie every now and then. Why? Because he's a pastor serving the community. There's a lot of bivocational pastors that don't have the blessing to be able to do this. Paul was bivocational by choice, but there's a lot. But it doesn't release the requirement to care for these people that minister to you. And that's what he's saying. The people God uses to fix this problem come from there. But notice the requirements. There's characteristics here. Again, I said just to reiterate, people who have the most at stake should be the ones who lead. Seven men. Seven was the number that um, traditionally was appointed in the Jewish culture. If you were going to do business in a city, let's say you were going to Jericho and you wanted to do business there, you would take with you six other men. There would be seven to go do business. That was just a tradition there. So there were seven men appointed to conduct this business of overseeing the widows. And notice the characteristics it says. Look down and what it says in verse 3. Pick out from among you seven what? Men. The word there is andros, not anthropos. Anthropos in the Greek means men universal. Andros means men male. And not women who want to be males. This is a male. God ordained men to lead the church. 
It doesn't mean that women don't have value. It doesn't mean that women can't be used. And I know, well, what about Deborah in the Old Testament? Yeah, Deborah was used. She was used. What about the, the daughters of uh, Philip the Evangelist? What about you know Mary and some of the people? Yeah, they were used. But in the church, God has ordained men to lead. But you know what? There were double, the women had an event when I was in Meridian speaking at the same church. There were double the number of women there than there were men. And that's a problem in our culture. And the church as, as a whole. And, and we struggle to find men to lead. But he says, let them be men. Second, from among you. That means from among the ranks. Not bringing in outside leaders like a headhunter, we're going to bring this guy in. No, we want the people to come from within the body of good reputation. Well, what, what about old uh, Taylor? You know, would he be a good guy? I don't know. don't know much about him. Well, if you don't know much about him, he should, probably shouldn't be heading up a ministry. Just because you don't know anything bad about him doesn't mean you should be a guy you should lift up. You've got to make sure that you know something good about him of good reputation. Fourth, full of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean a guy who goes, praise Jesus and raises his hand all the time. That means he's yielded to the authority of God's Word and he lives it. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. It says Stephen was that guy and he says finally full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. So men among you, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Yeah. Oh, they were? Yeah. They had no say. They, did, they didn't, but did Jesus include women in his he ministry? Did, he of did course he say what they're trying to establish here, I think, is that you must bring those people into the church. Well, there were women in the church. There were women that were a part. But see, if you go back to Timothy, and see, this is why it's important to know all of Scripture, because in Timothy, when he lays out the qualifications for why men are the ones, he goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and says it was Eve who sinned. And that's not her role that God has ordained in the church. The role of the woman in the church is not to be in leadership as an elder. She can be a deaconess because we do know there are deaconesses. But to be a elder you have to be a male and in this case when he picked the leaders there he picked men because men are to lead in the church it doesn't mean the women aren't valued and they can't contribute but the leadership should be male and that's 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 been a biblical practice throughout time except in either churches that depart from scripture or america I'm serious. You go back and look at church history and you look at the way it has been and I'm saying, but we're progressive and we have a very... Because it's not popular in our culture, now people, they started deviating years ago. And again, it doesn't mean that a woman can't serve. It's just saying in the position of leadership, it is a role issue, not a value issue. 
And it's important for us to understand that. In the same way, the apostles served a role where they had gifts that they could do that other people couldn't. It didn't make them more valuable. It was just their role. And so God has said, I want the men to lead. They're to be the leaders. And so that it wasn't just a cultural issue. It was a positional issue that God ordained for men. And I think it's important to understand. It's a great question. But, that, and, and, but that's, that's what Scripture teaches. And if you depart from that, you might as well depart and let homosexuals lead in the church or people who are engaged in adultery or any other kind of sin because that's not what God ordained. It's very clear. Timothy and Titus are very clear about the qualifications of an elder. When they had a problem, they identified the priority of the shepherd was to what? Preach and teach. And what was who, who did they use to help meet the problem? The people within the community there where the problem existed. That's who they chose, but the apostles appointed them. So they built a framework. Organization is something we need, but it has to be governed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So um, I, I appreciate Grant. That, 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 is, that is a really, there's been greater minds than mine and yours that have debated that for years on the whole women thing. And a lot of it boils down to how are you interpreting the scripture, culturally or contextually? And contextually, it points back to creation on that particular issue. So I appreciate you guys coming again today. And uh, Taylor, will you close our time out in prayer?